So it's been called the most important question that's ever been asked. And today we have the privilege of kicking off a small series. We'll do this today and then on Friday evening on our Good Friday service and then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, where we will declare he is risen. Uh, he is risen indeed, right? We'll celebrate the resurrected Christ. But today I want to ask you a question about the Lord Jesus Christ that the Lord Jesus asked those who were in his inner circle, those who were closest to him. He asked them the question, who do people outside of this group say that I am? That was his first question. And then the second one, as I mentioned, has been called the most important question ever asked is who is it that you say that Jesus is? I'm afraid today, if we're honest with ourselves, that for some people, they look at Jesus like he's a good friend, uh, but not just a good friend, but just a nice guy. He's, he's somebody who's kind, who has offered teachings that we sort of kind of like, and our preference would be to pick and choose from what he's taught us to say, yeah, this is consistent with what I like. Yeah, I'll just discard this. Kind of like pickles. Can anybody agree with me on this one? You know, like you keep what you want. You discard what you don't want. You know, some of us, I think we approach Jesus and his teachings that way. They see him as a nice guy, a nice option one of many, and we'll see this in the biblical text today, that they talked about Jesus in reference to previous prophets and others. So, so that's one way of approaching Jesus. Another, I think, significant way that many today, even more so today than maybe ever in America, they look at Jesus as a threat, that he's nasty, that there's things about Jesus that, that threaten their very way of life, or that Jesus is offensive when he makes some of the claims that he makes, and so we reject him outright, and on Good Friday, we're going to recognize the work that Jesus did on the cross, that he was literally put to death by those who are threatened by him. And I think for some of us, and this is where I celebrate today, like the apostle Peter, when he was asked this question by the Lord Jesus Christ, we're gonna stand back and we're saying, no, he's not just a nice guy. Um, no, he's not just, uh, uh, he's not a threat to us, um, but instead uh, that we recognize him as necessary. He's required, uh, that he is the essential hope of the world, that he is our salvation. And I, I wanna encourage you today, those options are ones that are very common. And I'm afraid that for some of us, that there is a mistaken identity in, in recognizing the Lord Jesus Christ, that we, we don't accurately understand who he is. There was a story that came out um, many years ago, around 2006, in the end of April, there was a nationwide story that came out of Taylor University. Some of you are familiar with the school. My grandfather and se several of my family members attended Taylor University, a small Christian school in Upland, Indiana. Um, and the story came out of a tragic event that had taken place. A truck driver overslept. He crossed a highway and hit a 15-passenger van that had, I think, nine people in it. Um, and um, instantly, five of them were killed. Uh, the remaining survivors from that car accident uh, would, many of them, have to suffer through a rehabilitation process. And can you imagine the emotional pain? Some were teachers, some were students uh, from Taylor that um, it was just a tragedy. It was just such a sad story. And for many of us, we heard that story of the tragic loss of those lives and uh, we mourned it. We, we were sad for that, that, that reality of what happened in Indiana. 
But some of you have heard since then the other tragic story that had happened. And the one that was quite incredible is that two of the young ladies, one that was 19 and one that was 22 years old, um, were actually confused for one another. And so as the one was rehabilitating in a hospital, as she was in a coma, and then over the next five weeks, she went through the process of healing, she would hear about the funeral that took place, the funerals that took place for those who had died in the car accident. And she would be surrounded by friends and family. But later on, through the natural discovery of her body and mind healing itself, she was able to literally articulate that uh, she was not the person that they thought that they were, that she was. She was, she was actually a different person that was in the car accident. So the family and friends that were surrounding her, they thought that they were propping up a blessed loved one that had already passed away in that car accident. Brothers and sisters, as we talk about Jesus Christ today, I'm afraid that for some, like those that surrounded that accident, there have been Dateline stories, some of you may have seen them more recently. There's a book that was written about this. But the family members of the young lady who was actually killed as they were surrounding this other young lady, one of the things that, that came out of that story is that they started to see the signs. They, they noticed some physical attributes that were different. They started to notice some of the things that she was writing and the way she spoke, even her teeth that were different. And, and there was a moment they've confessed that they just wanted it to be their daughter, right? They, they just wanted her to be a different person. And so, so what they wanted was not the truth. And at the end of the day, it caused great pain. But but we praise the Lord that today, when we talk about Jesus, I'm guessing for some of us, when Jesus asked that incredible question, there are some people who hear that question. Who do you say that I am? Who do they say that I am? And for some people, they misunderstand Jesus. They want something very different. We'll talk about that. We'll focus on that today. That those who look at Jesus as just a nice option, a nice guy. Uh, but, but what we're going to recognize is that Jesus um, is, is able to only fit one place, and that is who he claimed to be. And that is fully God, the author of life, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. And so as difficult as that is for some of us to accept what I recognized this morning is that there were going to be days where there would be people who wanted Jesus to be the conquering king, the one that they laid those palm branches down before to, to, to be able to experience the blessings they expected. But instead, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to this incredible passage of Scripture that is found in Matthew chapter 16, a moment in the life of the disciples that I'm guessing they could not ever forget, a moment in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ where he called them to answer this simple yet profound truth that I think is important for each and every one of us to ask in our own life. Who is it that we say that Jesus is? Some say he's nice, some say he's nasty, some say that he is necessary. When some say that Jesus is admirable, we see this throughout history. And in verse 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, 
He asked his disciples. Now, let's just remember for a second. These are the guys that knew Jesus. These were the men that had followed him, that had participated in the miracles that he had done. They had seen Jesus do things that were counterintuitive. They had seen Jesus teach things that had never been taught in such a same way as this. And so here, Jesus is looking at the guys that were traveling with him, his disciples, and he said, who do people say that the Son of Man, this is one of Jesus' ways of referencing himself, who do people say that I am? And they said back, some say John the Baptist. We know this biblically that King Herod and some others had looked at Jesus and they thought, man, this guy, he's just like the return of this man who was crying in the wilderness, the, a man who was, had a, an offensive message. Um, so some claimed that Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated. Others said Elijah, like the prophet who had a message, or like Jeremiah, prophets who had hard truths that they communicated. They recognized that Jesus didn't always say the easy thing. But, but I want you to just catch this. There's lots of religions today that identify Jesus, and they say that he is a prophet, or I would say a truth holder, or a path, an option for people. And here they say that he was probably one of the prophets. That's who some describe Jesus. And I think that, that if we can drill down into that a little bit further, we would say that some people just look at the life of Jesus and they say it was admirable. He did good things. He cared for sick people. He was kind and generous. He lived a life that was worthy of learning from. And I think that that's what uh, was common for some, especially at the time in history when we see Palm Sunday, that there were people who would declare, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the Lord Jesus looks then at his friends, and I think he's going to look at you and I, and he's going to say, but who do you say that I am? Who is it that this Jesus that we celebrate the resurrection of, this Jesus that we talk about so much in the church context, that we call ourselves Christ followers, some of us, like, who is it that we see him as being? Is he one of the prophets, an important man, a really good guy? I think some people admire him. I love the way that, um, that we talk about some of his his thoughts and teachings and just the way we understand him is that we, we admire him. We, we look at him and we say, man, there's some good stuff. Jesus was one of the good guys. Um, and, and when you put him in the context of these prophets and others that had gone before, I think that it's possible that for some of us, we admire him. Uh, we see Jesus in some ways a little bit more personal than that as a devoted and generous friend. Uh, so, some would say, I love, I love this picture. You guys ever seen this? Uh, I think this is like a Christian action figure right here, right? So, so, so for some of us, we see Jesus as our, you guys have heard this, like Jesus is my homeboy, right? He's my friend. He, some have described him as my wingman. You know, he's got my back. He cares about me. He's, you know, let, Jesus, let that guy take the wheel, right? That's what we say, right? So, so we see Jesus as someone who, let's, let's take it a little bit deeper, I think for some of us, we see Jesus as kind of our divine uh, lucky charm, like our, our vending machine. Like it, you see someone who stands up to the plate before um, they go to hit the ball and in a baseball game and they cross themselves. And, and part of that is it's saying like, Jesus, would you give me what I want, right? Would you provide for me what I expect? And I think we see Jesus as someone who's a friend on the journey, who is kind and admirable, and someone who gives us kind of that chicken soup for the soul, right? Like that he, 
He warms us up inside as someone who we'd like to admire. I think we see him as our devoted friend, someone who we recognize has the potential of helping us in the journey of our life. I actually think this is one of the big ones and it's important to talk about in church. Is I actually think that some see Jesus as a form of their inheritance. And I want to make this very personal. What I mean by Jesus as my inheritance is that when I was a young man, uh, and if somebody asked me why I was a Christ follower or why I accepted Christ, I would often begin with saying, I grew up in a Christian home. And part of what I've learned in my life is I've been around people who have accepted Christ and followed Christ that did not grow up in a Christian home. And I, I'm, I'm, I, my heart breaks for them because they've had to cut against maybe some of the values that were taught them in their home. But I am not a Christ follower because of the fact that I was born into the right home. I am a Christ follower because Jesus revealed himself to me and I received the truth of his revelation in my life. And so when we say things, I think sometimes when I say inheritance, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I just think of it like we, we, we will say things like, well, why are you a Christian? Well, it's because I was born in America where um, this is the prevailing religion in our society. Or uh, we talk about it as if it's something that has been given to us and that we have received, but just because of where we were born. And I'll tell you, you don't inherit your faith. So you don't understand an accurate understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ just by having grown up in a, in a family or in an environment where it was encouraged to you. But instead, uh, what we recognize is that Jesus, in his truth that he communicated, challenged us to be people who recognize him accurately for who he is. I think a second misconception of Jesus, I say he's a nice guy, good guy, one of the good guys. But I think for, for others, some people see Jesus as a nice uh, way of life, a guide to a nice way of life. That, that Jesus is a teacher who gave some good advice. I joke about the pickle. Um, even if you like pickles, and I pray for you, um, but even if you like pickles, there's no one who says that is essential, right? It is necessary. It's a, a choice that you get to make. And I think theologically for some of us, some of the things that Jesus said were offensive or difficult or challenging. That he called people to repentance. He, he turned over money... Uh, tables of money change. Sometimes he confronted and spoke hard truths. And I think for some of us, I, this place cracks me up in Medina, the sushi and hamburger place. Um, I know you go there. I see lots of people there. I love sushi. I love hamburger. I don't know how this works, right? But, but we, we look at Jesus and we look at his teachings and we say, yeah, I like that. Ah, don't like that one so much. I love the way that Charles Spurgeon puts it. He says, for many people today, he wrote this many years ago, but I think it's so relevant. He says, we see Jesus, the teachings of Jesus as admirable for the occasions in which he delivered them. Ancient occasions, right? But some see his teachings as a bit stale and they need to be reviewed and edited for our modern situation. This is so common today. You hear people talk about God's word and you hear about his truth and you say, yeah, that was good for then, but, but, but Jesus didn't understand or they don't apply to our modern world. And I think that that's dangerous. I think it's a misunderstanding of Jesus. So, so for some people, they look at Jesus and they say, he is a way, right? 
Um, they say that Jesus is a truth, that he's a way of life, right? Um, amongst many paths that we can find our path that we like and that we get to choose whom we, um, how we, we fall. And Jesus made a claim that contradicted that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so some people look at this version of Jesus and they say, I want to pick and choose what I want. I think for others, we see Jesus as a revolutionary historical figure that we remember on this Palm Sunday, the day when people came in to surround Jesus. And as Johnny shared that, that beautiful um, story of the life of Christ as he walks through, um, through this preparation for the Passover, that that here, what we see with those words that they said, let's look at that briefly in John 12, 12. But what we celebrate on this Palm Sunday is that there in the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ were, were people who saw Jesus as their conquering king. And I think they saw him like the winning conquering king. I love it when my sports team wins. It doesn't always happen, right? I love it when, when I'm on the winning team and I'm celebrating. And that's what they were doing on this day. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then it says this in verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd that had come to the Passover feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. In those days, by the way, when Jesus was there, it was impossible to ignore him. The man who multiplied uh, miraculously food, the man that healed people who were sick and blind, the man who was going to say a message that was going to be provocative. So Jesus's message was not boring. In fact, you couldn't ignore him. And so here they, they hear that Jesus is coming. They rushed to be there. They took branches of palm trees. They went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's gold. Even just in the nuance of that donkey. Fulfilled messianic promise, but he's going to be a different kind of king than they expected. So here, if we're picking and choosing the parts of Jesus that meet our expectations, our needs, the divine vending machine, the messenger that reinforces the values that I already hold instead of is the one that is the one true God who divines the values that impact me. I think here what they're saying is bless him and what we know from history until he says something that we disagree with. And it would be some of those same lips that would declare curse him, crucify him. And so it's incredible to say, but to recognize that some misidentify who Jesus is because of the fact that his, um, he is so much more than a revolutionary historical figure. He's so much more than a teacher who gave some good advice. Um, I think a third uh, way that some misunderstand Jesus as a teacher is they just see him as a powerful influencer. He was a person who changed lives. People would have wanted to get selfies with Jesus, Right? Um, that there was a part of this that Jesus represented power for some. He represented a change of the way things were. And I think through, through showing his power in miracles that there are people who wanted to be around him. But, but it didn't take long for that to change. It didn't take long for those who surrounded Jesus to um, turn. And I mentioned earlier that some see him as nice 
Um, some see him as a nasty threat to their way of life. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 23. And I want you to see the portion of the story that we'll unpack a little bit more on Friday. Um, this is the moments that built up to the cross. And I think this is, this is some people who misunderstood who Jesus was. You can read a bunch of them in this story. Look at this. It says in verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. So, so the story is that we recognize there were two criminals that were condemned, that deserved to be condemned for their um, transgressions. And they're with Jesus beside him on the cross. And we're going to get to see the dialogue of how they perceived Jesus, how they would have answered the question, who do you say that I am? And when they came to the place that is called the skull, we know that as Golgotha, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one at his right and one on his left. And Jesus said to everyone that was a part of this crucifixion, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then the guards cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. They're mocking him. If he is the Christ of God... His chosen one, can he take care of himself? So here, they're mocking him as being a disappointment. They're mocking him as not living up to their expectations. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who, who, um, who were hung Railed, railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So their misperception of Jesus was one that led them to mock him, to persecute him, and to ultimately lead to his death. I think that we recognize that Jesus is a cultural figure whose influence um, was, was not able to be borrowed or mocked. That there were those who looked at him from a distance and misunderstood him. They did not understand exactly who he was. And I think it was a gross misunderstanding. Um, my, my wife was involved in um, a very interesting car accident. So um, in a car wash, one of those automated car washes in Parma, uh, my wife was in the car wash um, doing what you're supposed to do in neutral. And the person in front of her uh, actually freaked out a little bit, I guess, with all the sounds and things and hit the brakes and it was a nice car, Lexus. And um, my wife in our minivan hit her car multiple times, but it wasn't her fault, right? It's just a weird experience. There's a, a video and everything. And so you're like, well, who's at fault? Uh, well, let me just tell you, you have to make a police report and all kinds of things. Well, I um, was helping Allie out, and I went into the Parma Police Department to um, to file a police report for this. We had videos and all this stuff for this accident. And when I walked in, I could tell, like, they were treating me pretty nice. Like, I, I felt like they kind of put out the red carpet. Um, and uh, after a little while, I, I, um, I noticed something. And then some of you don't know this, but there is a uh, Parma Heights council member by the name of Sean Brennan. Uh, and so... <laughs> And so as they I actually overheard someone say, I thought they, you know, stuttered a little bit, but I overheard someone, you know, say something about councilmen. And, uh, and so I never told him. It was awesome. You know, it was great. Uh, no, I, uh, I, I confessed. Uh, but, uh, you know, just a, a misunderstanding, right? It was just a, a misrecognition of who I was and who I wasn't. 
And I think that when we talk about Jesus, it's essential for us to recognize that some even use his name. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus Christ is one of the most common curse words in our society? Isn't that fascinating? You can't ignore Jesus. And, and here, there's people who like him until he cuts across what they value. Or there's people who curse him. Um, but what I recognize and I celebrate is the fact that, and I don't want to run down this rabbit trail too far, but Jesus was a man who was strong. Jesus was a man who was consistent. Jesus was a man who um, understood how to use his hands. He was a blue-collar guy. When we say carpenter, he wasn't making little knickknacks. He's building homes, and he was the kind of man that other men were willing to follow uh, Jesus was consistent, and Jesus wasn't just a good guy. He was the God of the universe. He was the hope of the world. He was the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he ultimately, third point this morning is some say, I hope this is what you say, is that Jesus is their Savior. I, I think it's essential that we recognize that he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. So when we said that earlier, that, that um, when, when people think about the teachings of Jesus or they think of his lifestyle or what he offers them, we say some people would say he's a way, a truth, a life. But the claims of Jesus himself was that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so he's not a good option, but he is the only true option that we have. So we understand that Jesus is the only way the truth, and the life. That we recognize for some of us that Jesus is, I love this phrase, our living hope. Isn't it awesome that he did not just die on the cross for our sins, but he is the resurrected Lord, right? That there were testimony of people who saw him in his physical body after he defeated the reality of sin and death. So we recognize him as our living hope. Can you, you guys recognize, you know this, I don't want to be too morbid, but but each and every one of us, at some point, we are going to die. It is heartbreaking um, to think of this when I mentioned Abby and her cousin, 26 years old, totally unexpected death. We don't, we don't think of someone living a short life. The ages of these two young ladies that were killed, the one that was killed in that car accident involving Taylor University, that... Um, she was just a young lady, 22 years old. And you, you look at that story and the one who had survived, Whitney Carrick, she goes on to tell the story. And some of you have heard this, that um, she experienced something that not too many of us are going to have the chance to experience. And that is she got to watch a video of her own funeral a funeral that was attended by some 1,200 people. Um, and she, um, at a, a Taylor University chapel, it's a, it a great video of her telling the story, but she's like, not, not everybody gets to attend their own funeral. Um, and she got to watch her own funeral, and she got to found, find out, you know, in funerals sometimes we, we kind of joke about the people who've passed away. Like she said that some, she found out at her funeral or when she watched her funeral that some people um, really didn't think she was as good of an athlete as she thought that she was uh, and that her one sister said that she needed to shower a little more often. Uh, and so uh, it's kind of awkward. I hope they're friends, right, those two, right? But um, she, she said this, and I thought that this was really, really quite profound. She says, a lot of people wonder what it will... Um, what people will say at your funeral, and I know. 
Um, but she went on to say the names of those who died in that car accident, Betsy, Laurel, Monica, Brad, and Laura, those who died that tragic day. One thing they've taught us among many others is that life is short and you don't know which day will be your last. That's all of us. Unless the Lord returns, we have, um, the, we have the privilege and also the recognition of the fact that someday we will graduate from this life. And I think it's so important. I did a funeral with a, for a man um, that um, died earlier than you would have expected him to. He wrestled with cancer for three, uh, three separate rounds. And I did the funeral this last Saturday. And as we were talking about his life, one of the things that's incredible about it is that he wanted to make sure that he was ready for this, that he had placed his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he understood, like King David penned in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you remember what he says? I will fear no evil. Why? Because thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my comfort. He's the source of my living hope. In Psalm 144, King David described our lives and our lifespan like a breath. He says, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow, a flash an instant. And I think for some of us, we expect that we're going to live a long and full life. We're going to have time to address this kind of question that Jesus asked his disciples at another time, maybe when we're more prepared. And I just challenge you that this is the day for you to give consideration to who Jesus is. If we could go back to that moment, uh, we'll pick back up in Luke chapter 3, verse 40. The, the moment that Jesus was crucified on the cross, it's a fascinating dialogue. I love this dialogue about the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that these men, two who were hanging on that cross, were both in the valley of the shadow of death. They knew literally that they were being put to death for the crimes that they had committed, in fact, justly. It says this in verse 40, but the other rebuked him. Now this is to the one man where we were at before is the one man says, hey, Jesus, can't you get yourself off the cross? If you're the Messiah, can't you do this? Can't you fix this? But then the other man, the other criminal rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? In other words, we're dying here and we indeed Justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's making a profound statement about the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he was the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In his perfectness, he is allowed and able to be the only true payment for the sin that deserves death. And so he describes this profound theological truth and then it says in verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And we get this wonderful description back. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. We don't have to fear death. We, don't, we, we recognize that Jesus had victory over death. Why? Because he was the Messiah that he claimed to be. So here, these men recognize Jesus. One of them recognizes Jesus as the Christ, God incarnate, the true giver of life, the Messiah. One accurately identified him. The other um, misunderstood who Jesus was. I wonder for you, who do you say that Jesus is? 
The Apostle Peter recognized Jesus and circle back around to the verse that we began with, Matthew 16, 15. It says this. He said to them, after he'd asked them, who do they say that I am? He says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes on to affirm him. God must have told you that, Peter. And what's so beautiful, and I want to apply this truth as we come to the end of this message. Uh, what's so beautiful about this simple truth for me is that here what happened was that Peter was going to identify Jesus for who he had claimed to be. He was going to accurately understand Jesus. And it wasn't necessarily that profound of a thought. It was just Yes, I accept you for who you claim to be. I love philosophy. I love theology. I love studying it. But I want you to catch the simplicity of just saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you said that you claimed to be. And, and, and so here, what we see from, from Peter also is the reality of a man who just in the next few days is going to still deny the Lord Jesus Christ. He is still going to be a man who doesn't always get it right. He's going to be a man who ultimately, though, the Lord is going to use to truly build his church. And so God knows our imperfections. He knows our struggles. He knows the recognition of our weakness. But for you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, not depending on an inheritance that comes from someone else's belief, but instead you placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can ultimately be just like this man who before the Lord Jesus was able to say, truly this day you will be with me in paradise. Just like Peter who was able to face death without fear or shame because of the work of the cross. I think that that word shame, it's kind of a second application for those of us who placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is that G the Apostle Paul talked about this a lot. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Uh, I'll tell you, there are times when my poor kids are ashamed of me. Now, I can just say that, right? Uh, there are times when I am full on dad mode, do what I want to do, and uh, my kids make fun of me and laugh at me. You know that feeling, right? Some of you feel that way about your dads as well. I understand that. Uh, I think for some of us, when it comes to associating with the Lord Jesus Christ, even the hard teachings of Christ, that for some of us, we say, yeah, that is a little much. It's asking a little more than what I'm ready to. We distance ourselves from the provocative Jesus. We like the one that is comfortable. And I think it's essential for us to recognize that, that we need to be people who are willing to associate with Jesus. We need to be people who are called a light on a hill that represent the love of Christ to a world that desperately needs it. And so um, if you know him accurately, you need to be somebody who associates with them, that declares it publicly, coworkers, classmates, even at risk of having people misunderstand you or be confused by your beliefs. I've been in countries where if you think about the act of baptism in general, and I think it's, a, it's an incredible way of associating yourself with Jesus. I've been in countries where the act of baptism would lead a person to have to separate themselves from their family. In other words, by associating with Jesus, there would be other family members who would say, I want nothing to do with you. But people still associate with Jesus. That there are other places where it might cost them their job, might put at risk the, 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 the livelihood, might affect their bottom line. And at the end of the day, there's people in our world that are saying, he's worth it, he's worth it. 
In the case of the apostle Peter, he'd put at risk his very life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, for some of you, just want to challenge you when we talk about being believers, um, that I don't assume anything about anybody in this room. I have shared here that um, there was a 30-plus-year-old pastor that I loved, served with, and realized that he had never gone through the process of being baptized. I had the privilege of baptizing him. And I want you to just recognize, like, some of baptism is recognizing and associating with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and doing so in a public way. So I want to encourage you to consider that. Now, what it isn't, though, is the finalized means of your salvation. I love that we get that example of the man who's on the cross, who literally Jesus says to him because he didn't have time to be baptized. You've associated with me. Truly, this day you will be with me in paradise. I think that, that it's important for each and every one of us to give this deep consideration. Who do you and I say that Jesus is. At the end of the book of John, John chapter 20, a book that records so many truths about Jesus. If you're searching to learn about Jesus, I want to encourage you to read the book of John from start to end. And towards the end of the book of John, there's this incredible statement that says that not everything Jesus did was recorded in, the, in that book, but it says this, and I want you to catch this. I think this is the day for all of us, those of us who've yet to place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is the day for it. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. I wish we could see some of those, some of those other things that Jesus did. But he says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So, so the, the very book of John and other books in the New Testament were written so that we can answer the, correct, the question accurately. Who do we say that Jesus is? Jesus is the Christ, the anticipated Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may experience, you may have, you may receive life in his name. Jesus didn't just come to be someone that we respect from a distance. He didn't come in such a provocative way to push us away from him, but he came that we can understand him to be the necessary hope of all people. Do you agree with me on this? Do you recognize this truth? And so the question that I want to ask you as we turn our hearts to prayer and the worship team will come forward, the question that I want to ask you is, who do you say that Jesus is? Um, what is it that you would have said to the Lord Jesus Christ if he were in this room with you today, looked you in the eye and say, who, who is it that you say that I am? Is he a good person, someone who's worth uh, learning from, a, a path, a option, or is he the way, the truth, and the life? Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your goodness. And just as I talk about this, I, I take this so personally because I do hear people use your name uh, who talk about you, and they talk about the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that I think is a misunderstanding of who you are. And I pray that this, um, this Easter season, when we celebrate the, um, the ultimate sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be reminded of the fact that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. For any of us that have associated with you, would we have a tangible boldness in our reckless obedience to serve you and to worship you in our life? Would we not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ? 
Then I pray for any person that's here, any person that's joining us online that has yet to associate with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether that's through the step of baptism that we will celebrate with those next week that have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and are going public with it. I pray for those who um, need to do that, to take that step of obedience. But I also pray for those who have yet to truly be able to answer, like the Apostle Peter did on that special day, that you are our living hope. I pray that, Lord. So I pray the humble prayer that was so significant to me, that I recognize in my own strength I cannot earn my salvation. I recognize that I desperately need forgiveness for the sins that have defined my life. And through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, I recognize that I have been forgiven and set, through, set free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray that for each and every person here. Um, I pray alongside of them that they would ask themselves the question, who is it that I say that Jesus is? We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.